Hey guys, welcome back to Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism. I'm Eleni. I'm Jeffrey. And today we're going to be discussing season, nope, season, I was going to say season two. <laughs> Episode two of season four, The Lorelai's First Day at Yale. Yes, indeed. A, yeah, which is a kind of play on words on the first season, which was The Lorelai's First Day at Chilton. New school, same girls, same bullshit. You know Pretty much. You know how it be. Um, before we do that, though. I feel like we say that all the time. All the time. Before we actually do the podcast that we were set out to do, uh, <laughs> we are discussing this um, essay, this book, this collection of essays in this book that I picked up. And it has to do specifically with Gilmore Girls. Um, and when we were talking about what would kind of be our intro topic, topic, I said topic, didn't I? <laughs> you said topic. I don't know what that means. Topic. A mix of Tupperware and topic. Topic, when we're discussing what our intro topic would be, um, because this was a really heavy mother-daughter episode, Mm -hmm. I decided that maybe we should talk about this book chapter um, in this book called Mommy Anks, Motherhood in American Pop Culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's basically a collection of essays talking about different parenting, different, different mothering styles, I should say, and how they're portrayed on television and movies. And there's a whole chapter about uh, Gilmore Girls, and the chapter is called Hit Mamas, Gilmore Girls and Ariel Gore. Mm. And yeah, it was really interesting. I will um, send Jeffrey a copy because he didn't <laughs> get a chance to listen to it, uh, to, hear, to read it. Um, by the way, this book was in like the stacks of the main library branch in Toronto. Like they had to, it took them like three weeks to go and get it because it was downstairs and a lot of people were working from home. And it took a while, <laughs> but I finally got it. And I was telling Jeffrey I had to renew it three times and then check it in and check it out again because I kept putting off a discussion. But we're here now and we're going to have it. At least this week our intro topic has to do with Gilmore Girls, right? So Last time it did too. Most of them do. And even if they don't, you know what? Thank you. you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the chapter was not at all what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be uh, more of a commentary on how on the mother-daughter relationship in terms of them being best friends, more best friends than mother and daughter. Mm -hmm. And I was really interested. It was interesting because while it does talk about that, it's more um, a commentary on the fact that um, Gilmore Girls was a very white show, which we already knew. Yes. But it talks about it being a white show in relation to the political climate at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. So when it first premiered, it was 2000, 2001, 2000? 2000. Well, all 2000, yeah. And it was still the WB, which is a very family-friendly um, network. But what I found out by reading this chapter was that Gilmore Girls was the first ever show that was financed by the Family Friendly Programming Forum. I think I read that. That sounds very familiar now that you say it. Yeah, so their their whole mission, this this association, this organization, shall we say, was to support and promote the development of family-friendly content. Mm. So I'm reading this, and I'm like, huh, interesting, because it is a show about a teen pregnancy at its core, right? Yeah. You wouldn't think that that would be the type of show that this organization, from its mission statement and motto, would want to promote. But then this chapter gets into the whole... Um, idea of why it was chosen by this organization, the show itself. 
Interesting. And they talk about, yeah, and they talk about how, um, while it is a show that is about teen pregnancy, obviously, it's also a show about a white mother who chooses to have her baby instead of abort it. Mm-hmm. And then um, promotes this idea that by working hard and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, everything will be okay. Yeah. So that's very much the idea that they were going with. And that was the crux of the um, promotion. Like that was what they wanted to promote. Um, Maybe not necessarily to young girls, but that was the image that they wanted to portray of like, you will be okay if you choose to have your baby at 16 and by working hard and not having help, everything is going to be okay. Don't worry about it. Right. Yeah. That's very much the image that they were trying to portray and very much the image that they wanted to get across to people of like anti-abortion pro pro pro-life um viewpoint right Mm -hmm. and then the thing that the author of the chapter kind of gets into is that you know single mothers in general and especially single mothers um right out of high school or in high school normally don't follow this trajectory, right? This Lorelai Gilmore trajectory. Yeah. Because it's fiction, right? (laughs) Let's be honest. Yes, very fictional. So it's fictional and it's, you know, it's not an accurate portrayal of what happens. Okay, not saying that everyone who gets pregnant at 16 or 17 becomes an utter failure, but it's hard work, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then the author was also saying, like, the these people completely gloss over the fact that Lorelai has a safety net. Her parents mm-hmm. are her safety net. <laughs> she doesn't like she doesn't like that she has the safety net, but it's there. Yeah, for sure. She doesn't like it. And that's what the author says. You know, she the show kind of gives us the impression that the the first ever time that she went to her parents for help was for Rory's school, which is true. But you know, there are subsequent times after that first time that she definitely goes to them and you know, that safety net, whether she chooses to acknowledge it or not, is always there. So you can be a little bit more reckless with your choices when you know in the back of your mind that people can save you, right? Yeah. So it was a really, really interesting chapter in terms of talking about the political atmosphere at the time. And do you know who Ariel Gore is? I don't. I mean, is that, like, related to Al Gore? (laughs) No. (laughs) So Ariel Gore was... um, I'm not going to say an advocate, but she was also um, a teen mother and she made her whole career on um, talking about this new wave of parenthood and motherhood where you can kind of be where everything is going to be okay. (laughs) Like, you know, and we're new hip mamas, which Mm -hmm. there we go, the title of the chapter. Um, You can parent in a different way that your parents parented in. Yeah. And the fact that you're so young when you have your child means that you have a different perspective um on parenting now so it was it was very much the the um the narrative at the time um she made a whole website she was very big advocate for um the same thing like hard work when you're a teen mom and picking yourself up by your bootstraps the one thing that I do love about the chapter itself is um the fact that the author tells us that if Lorelai Gilmore was a black woman Mm-hmm. Do you think that this organization would have backed her? 
Uh, I'm going to go with no. Yeah, so the author's pointing to the fact that, like, it's obviously the best case scenario, right? The show. Mm-hmm. She's a woman who worked really hard. Everything turned out great. Her daughter went to an Ivy League school, and she opened it in. End of story. Everyone's successful. You, too, can be successful, right? Yeah. But, like... It largely ignores the fact that if this person, this this woman was black, you would be telling her that she's like a welfare queen, which is what the author uses as a term. Like, you know, you would be hating on them for using food stamps. Um, you wouldn't think it was such a big success story if a woman, if a black woman did the same thing. So kind of that racial nuance that we've talked about before. Um, yeah. Found its way back into this chapter, which I found was super, super interesting. So, you know. Obviously, in this day and age, things, well, I was going to say things have changed, but have they? Uh, <laughs> they have not. Not in terms of, like, the the racial prejudice of, um, like, a, a black single mother versus a white single mother. There's, right. it's, and no, not at all. No, so they haven't changed, but I mean, I, when I mean it, they've changed. In terms of, we recognize the fact that things haven't changed, that's changed, right? Yes. The fact that we're able to say, like, Mm-mm, this wouldn't have flown if it was a black woman, um, I think we're much more conscious of that now. Yeah. So that, that part has definitely changed. But, you know, I just think in terms of, um, you know, politics getting involved in our pop culture, it's certainly not the first time it's happened. No. Um. You know, it's and then it also points like she makes a really good point in this essay about the fact that like when Sarah Palin's daughter got pregnant at 17. Republicans were all like, oh, well, she's choosing to have her baby. It's okay. She's a good girl. Like she's doing the right thing by keeping her baby. That was like hardcore Republican rebranding, though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but imagine, and then she says, like, imagine if Barack Obama's daughters, like, had gotten pregnant at 17, what the media would have said. I'm sorry, hasn't, like, every move that that Malia Obama has made in the last five years been documented and mocked? Like, she hasn't done anything of, of note. Like, I, ha- I can't even think of anything that she's done that's been worth newsworthy, but... You still, can't think of the fact that Malia Obama went to prom as newsworthy? Is it Malia or, Ma- or Malia? I don't remember. Malia. I've heard, because I've heard both, like, on t- on, on TV on, and on news. But, like, none of that is newsworthy. I'm sorry. Like, I let her live her life. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking of Sasha, who went to prom. Sorry. One of them went to prom. Like, like there, there was a pretty prom, but what I'm saying is, like, but... can you imagine if their daughters had gotten pregnant? Like, it wouldn't have been a rallying cry for Republicans. It would have been, um, it would have been used as, as a way to say, like, see, this black family is a failure. Right? Mm-hmm. So bringing that into the show and saying, look, Lorelai Gilmore is this great role model. Well, what makes her a role model and not black women a role model, right? If they're oh, doing sure. the exact same thing. That entire concept of Lorelai Gilmore being a role model falls apart at just the slightest poke. Like you, we can we can dismantle and tear that tear that concept apart all day long. Yeah. And um, not just from, not just from not just from a racial perspective either. Also from like uh, the fact that she 
has the safety net but doesn't like doesn't want to acknowledge that she has rich parents or came from wealth like if you if she hadn't have come from wealth and quote unquote good breeding i don't think she would have been able to uh you know pull her pull herself up and keep going in that yeah, same for sure. way um yeah, and I, I just wanted to read this quote. In the minds of many Americans, legitimate pregnancy now has less to do with having a husband and more to do with having enough money. In the minds of many people, legitimate pregnancy has now become a class privilege reserved for women with resources. Other mm-hmm. women, those without resources, who get pregnant and stay pregnant are often regarded as making bad choices. So that safety net that Lorelai had made it so that she was one of the good ones, quote unquote, right? Yeah. Um, if it was just a regular woman, if forget, like, let's take race out of it. You, you shouldn't. But I mean, like, even if you took race out of it and it was a white woman who didn't have that safety net, she'd still be like, oh, she made bad choices. You know what I mean? Yes. There's like, it's, it's like a very, it's like a very thin line between teen pregnancy and white trash. Yes, for sure. So like you blind I think we as a culture still blindly associate things like teen pregnancy and you know rehab even with just white trash and even the fact like I, the the phrase white trash always bother me because I'm like what is anyone else who's not white just trash like why is it white trash you know um but in terms of teen pregnancy I think if the fact that Lorelai hadn't come from good breeding or parents who you know cared about her but not in the way that she needed yeah well they cared I think more it would have been a very different yeah and then, but they would but it would have been a very different story because Lorelai would have been from a shitty background oh well no wonder this happened to her because she's trash and yeah the fact that she didn't come from a trashy background like solidified her as a good role model so like so to speak yeah because it, if it was a show let's let's be honest if it was a show in the early 2000s about a woman who got pregnant in high school and her parents didn't have a boatload of money mm-hmm. that wouldn't have even gotten picked up by a network right <laughs> and it's, no like imagine imagine if it did like this fat the family association you mentioned would have had it pulled off the air within two episodes exactly you would have had a field day right so it's interesting that you mentioned rehab to me because you know i don't know if you've ever seen those tweets or those memes i don't know what to call them at this point but they're like name something that's considered trashy if you don't have money and um you know exotic if you do yeah and people always say like oh well speaking a second language or having a speaking with an accent like if you have money that's considered oh exotic but if you're poor they're like oh immigrant trap you know what i mean yeah so rehab is one of those things where like if you have money and you're going to rehab and you're like, well, I'm going to like this wellness tr- retreat to better myself because I realized that my 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 traits were very toxic. <laughs> Whereas, you know, poor people can't even afford rehab. And if they do make it to rehab, it's like, oh, trash, trash, trash. It's almost like a um, an extension of like the asking for it paradigm. Like you were like yeah. you kind of asked for drug addiction abuse alcoholism by being trash and so you should you shouldn't have been trash like you shouldn't have been born into that it's your own fault yeah exactly when in reality we can't really help well we can't help who what family we're born into you know it was luck of the draw that Lorelai was born into a wealthy family and happened to fall pregnant you know what I mean so 
I was expecting a chapter about how, like, maybe you shouldn't be best friends with your daughter. And instead, I got this whole, like, political narrative, which I'm really, like, happy that we got. Um, <laughs> as, as you were talking about it and talking about the, the you know, Lorelai Gilmore being a supposedly good role model and everything, I was thinking of Ginny. I was thinking of Ginny and Georgia and the whole who brouhaha that's going on about that show at the moment based on the fact that it's mostly... <laughs> Bring it it's, up. It's mostly Gilmore Girls plagiarism, as we've already established um, on our on our social media, because you know it's the premises are a little too similar, a little too similar, and it was totally now that was like totally made by Netflix uh, to cap to like capitalize on the ever growing and still ever present popularity of Gilmore Girls on their platform, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't mean, I haven't watched it and I told you, please don't make me watch it for podcast purposes because it looks really bad. (laughs) Um, and I can't take any more Netflix originals at this point, please no more. Yeah, that's what you said. (laughs) Um, but I think the recent controversy around Ginny and Georgia had to do with like Taylor Swift taking issue with a joke that was made, um, about her love life. And I think there was actually other controversies that were worse beforehand that now Taylor Swift is kind of knocked out of the water with so something that's you know not okay like the joke was misogynistic but like is this really one of how we use like want to use our star power is to call out little jokes I mean I don't know um yeah I don't know what to say about that so <laughs> I've said it before I don't I'm not a huge fan of Taylor Swift mm-hmm. I have no doubt that she's talented um She's definitely talented. I'm I'm not knocking her talent. Excellent songwriter. Some of her songs are catchy as fuck. <laughs> um, don't get me wrong, but there's always been something that's bothered me about her. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't know what it is. You know, you you have people that you don't necessarily like. Like, I don't know her. <laughs> Tom fucking Cruise. <laughs> and by the way, I'm an equal opportunist. A lot of you are probably saying, well, you probably don't like her because she's a woman. Nope. Nope. I don't like her. I don't like a lot of men. I don't like a lot of women. It's a whole thing. Um, but that's, that is to say, like, I do feel for her when she gets these harsh critiques based on the fact that, what, she's 20 and dating. Like, I feel like that's what you're supposed to do when you're 20 and dating. And yeah. nobody shit on, you know, we've said this time, like she said it before, we were going to say it, probably not the last time we're going to hear about how we get on this topic. Anyways, whatever. <laughs> um, it's, you know, men don't get the same amount of critique. We've said it before when we talked about the Chris Evans nude scandal. We said it when we talked about um, John Mulaney checking into rehab. You know, we retweeted something recently about how the, at the Golden Globes, Jason Sudeikis showed up in a hoodie and women were like all up in these glamorous gowns. The standards. What, is, are just what so was it even about though? Like, why would you get? So, why would? So, I mean, go right ahead if you want to get dolled up. But like, why would some? Like, why, obviously, I know why women did it, and why men did not. But like, where's the pressure to get all dolled up if you're just in your house? Like, okay, put on something nice, like you're on camera to the entire world. But like, I don't really get the well, point. Well, I genuinely believe that um, women these actresses definitely think first of all like you worked really hard and you're up for an award I would also get dressed up even if it was in my house I don't give a fuck (laughs) you know what I mean but I genuinely 
of another layer to this where women are like, I can't show up in sweatpants because they will annihilate me. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. So it's like there's no in between. It's like either you get all dolled up because you a you want to you deserve it. You worked hard and B, if I don't put some effort into it, they're going to attack me. So that's the thing. Like and listen, whether they would attack you or not, maybe we've evolved to the point that they wouldn't. I don't think we have. But like maybe we have Um, just that fear that you think that they will is enough to say, I'm not going to risk it. You know what I mean? Yeah. By the way, speaking of the Golden Globes, can I just say Anya Taylor-Joy, please marry me. (laughs) And honestly, anytime that I've seen tweets or Instagram posts about her, all all that comes to mind is this one tweet that I saw, and it's like, is she iconic or is she just white and pretty? And I'm like, a bit of both, but she's very pretty. I mean, she's a hottie, number one. Number two, I think she's a really great actress, too. She is. And you still haven't seen Emma, have you, you little shit? No, I haven't. I will watch Emma, but I will not watch The Queen's Gambit. It doesn't interest me at all. Oh, well, you're lost. It really doesn't. But in conclusion to our commentary about the Ginny and Georgia Taylor Swift controversy, I wanted to share a tweet that I read this morning. Hold um, on. How did we get on that? I brought up Ginny and Georgia, then we somehow got into the Golden Globes, but No, but how did we get on how did we get on Ginny and Georgia? Because I said when you were talking about the essay in the book uh referring to uh teen pregnancy and good role models, it reminded me of some oh, of the commentary okay. surrounding Ginny and Georgia. Go on, that's fine. Okay. I I'd be curious how we got on it. I'm sorry. <laughs> So this is a tweet from Karina McKenzie, who is uh, who has been a writer for a bunch of CW shows, actually. So she wrote, "Team Taylor forever," but I just have, but I just dot 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 have spent all day trying to imagine the normal person equivalent to being so famous that you interpret a shitty comment on your love life as like an attack on the history of all women, and there's just not a normal equivalent. Because yeah. in her, because in her tweet, Taylor Swift said like, you know. 2010 wants their joke back blah 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 netflix mm. just netflix i'm disappointed but happy women's month i guess it's like yes but also i mean i think that's why i have a problem with her <laughs> it's, so not like, that, it's not that it was tone deaf in particular but it's just like you know what i mean like it's it's and it sounds shitty to say that she doesn't have a right to be upset by jokes like no. that it's like okay, do you really have to like is like that yes it was a misogynistic joke and okay, I hate to so say, and I hate to say this but like isn't isn't there worse things in the world right now Okay so here's the thing number 1 I think Taylor Swift for her whole career has gotten such a bad rap from mm-hmm. a lot of different sources and even people who were um you know quote unquote on her side have yes. made a lot of shitty comments um, and treated her differently. Looking at you, Ellen. But like, <laughs> I treated her differently and said a lot of shitty things. Now, do I think that comment in Ginny and Georgia was the worst thing in the world? No. Do I think that people calling for Netflix to erase that line is ridiculous? Yes. Yes. Like, in the, I, like you, think that in the middle of a pandemic, um with like the state of the world being what it is 
I'm like, yeah, it's a little tone deaf to say, like, you're being so misogynistic, but happy Women's Day or whatever the fuck, Women's Month. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, during International Women's Month, we should be focusing on, uh, like, the the fight is not let's get Taylor Swift, um, whatever. Like, the, uh, the fight should not be <laughs> during <laughs> International Women's Month, let's treat Taylor better. Yes, we can treat Taylor better, but there's so many other things that we should be focusing on. Yeah, and... I think all I have to say in regards to her commentary and Taylor Swift trying to be outspoken is that, like, at this point, I think she's just perpetually caught between a rock and a hard place because yeah. she caught she caught so much shit for the last decade about not being outspoken at all and not, you know, speaking up when she should have. And she spent the last two years, like, saying, hey, I was wrong. Like, I was wrong. I, I acted immaturely. I was frozen at the age I became famous stupid excuse mm-hmm. but okay and you know she just said she never grew up and it's getting so old the song lyric but like it's <laughs> it's hard and I get it because it's hard for her to a choose as a public figure choose what to address now and what to just like let go and it's hard because people are going to say like oh she didn't say anything so what does her silence really mean and blah 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 so like I get it but at the same time as you said International Women's Month I think we have bigger fish to fry yeah um and the fact that you would boycott an entire streaming service <laughs> um because people want to boycott Netflix in general for that joke um, I mean like, hey, if, if 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 you feel that passionately about it go right ahead but it's not going to take down yeah, Netflix that's the thing. like I don't we've talked we talked about this last week with cancel culture right if you want to go ahead and do that no problem but to say like I don't know was it a stupid joke yeah obviously it was a stupid joke but there are millions of those every day. <laughs> like, yeah, and not and like not to excuse stupid little misogynistic jokes, but at the same no, time, like wrong. the world is vast, the world is big. Like, just pick and choose your battles. Yeah, anyway. I think it bothered me more when she was like she went after Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Yes. For making for saying like stay away from what's his face's son. Well, who's yeah. son? Um, I don't remember anymore. Anyways, but, like, she invoked that quote where, like, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. Like, really? Yeah. Really? Oh, my gosh. I, for- I forgot all about that. See, I blocked things. It for you. Like, I blocked dramatic things. I that meme where the person's like, I've been shot, and they're just, like, lying on the ground. Like, nobody murdered you. I don't know. I'm getting a visual of the, the gif of um, Fat Amy from Pitch Perfect when she gets hit with the burritos. Yes. Like, I've been shot! Well, that's it. And I was just like, okay, was it like a little bit, ugh? Yeah, okay, the joke was a little bit, ugh. But if you remember that night, they went after everyone, right? It wasn't just you. Mm -hmm. And also, like, relax with the special place in hell. Yeah, that that was a bit extreme. Especially since Tina Fey and Amy Poehler have done a lot for women in that industry. Like, again. Just pick and choose your battles, you know? Yeah. The world is um, going Just pick one and... Uh, anyway. Yeah. Moving, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> moving on. Moving on. <laughs> so, anyways, I will post um, a link to that book um, with, the, with the chapter because I think it's super interesting. And I read a couple of other chapters. They're also very interesting, um, but don't have anything to do with Gilmore Girls, so we're going to skip over them for today and get right into the episode, can we? Yes, let's do it. Let's 
do it. So Lorelai's first day at Yale. First thing I wrote is Rory is extremely calm. Like calm in the sense of uh, choking down her nerves or just like calm in general? She just looks very calm. You don't find she looks calm? She does, but then like you, it comes out later that she's not calm. Yeah, obviously. But I mean like she's still very calm at the beginning and you're like, bitch, when is it going to hit you? And then it does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say this is one of my favorite episodes um, in general because like Rory, Rory and I were very similar at that age, at that stage in life, and um, I wouldn't. I mean, I didn't live in a dorm, and never, never would. But um, just the way that she's trying to do everything by the book, I think, resonates with like perfect, like um, you know, picture perfect perfectionists and goody two shoes who want to do everything by the book, and then you learn, hey, life doesn't work like that. You're in for a rude awakening. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's, so I also think that this is a really great episode in terms of, um, it's just that the writing in this episode, it's so outstanding. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's Pete Gilmore Girls. It's amazing writing. It's amazing little bits here and there. The mattress bit is amazing. Let's be honest. I'd I'd like to say. I do agree with the mattress bit, but I'd like to say, remember how in season three, when you commented that, oh, watching it for the first time, you're not sure if when Roy goes to college is the same Gilmore Girls repartee dynamic still going to be there. And I think this episode proves my original thesis statement of season four is the strongest in terms of uh, Lorelai and Rory's dynamic, because the distance between them means they have to try harder to stay connected and I think in in that they find their nicest groove shall we say yeah no I think um in this episode I don't know if it's because she's leaving and like they really want to like cement that bond in before they're separated like the writers did Mm -hmm. so I don't know if it's because I don't know if it's because she's leaving and they want to reassure their audience that like it's still going to be the same don't worry so to do that we're going to jam pack this episode with a bunch of typical Lorelai and Rory banter you know what I mean yeah so I think author the authors I think it was the writer's way of kind of reassuring us and saying hey you know this is still going to be a good show don't worry about that. There, that that bond that you guys love so much, it's going to be different, but it's still going to be good. And then yeah. I think for the next 40 minutes, they proceeded to show us just how good they can be. And for me, like this episode, hands down the best of the season. Where was their Emmy nomination? Like, where was it? Where? Well, listen, <laughs> that is also another thing. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, for me, it was just, it, it was spot on. The writing was amazing. Everyone, so basically there's only three people in this episode, right? Three main characters. It's Lorelai, Luke, and Rory. <laughs> but everyone was so freaking on. Yes. Uh, and Paris. I should say Paris as well. But she played a secondary role in this episode. But it, it was just, for me, one of the best ones in the in the series in general. And definitely, for me, the best one of the season. I agree. Um, yeah. Much better than the season premiere. <laughs> Let's be honest. As we, you know, discussed last week, that episode's yeah. just out, so there, I agree. There's a reason for that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so can I, can I, can I just say dorm rooms don't look like that? 
They really, really don't. Like, that was my thought, too. <laughs> Even having never lived in a dorm, never, like I said, never would live in a dorm. But the very first time I watched season four, the whole show, actually, was in 2016 when I was in my first year of college, too. So I was, like, you know, seeing a lot of myself in Rory and not really, you know, ready to look at the uglier parts of myself in Rory. But it was there. And even I knew at that time and at that age, dorm rooms don't look like that. Dorm rooms do not look like that. (laughs) Nobody has a fucking common room and a fireplace in their dorm room. I mean, they even call it a suite. It's not even a dorm. It's like, what is it? Like a suite? You have suites at college? Yeah. I was like, oh, at least they got the part of like shared bathrooms correct. Yes. Anyway, but yeah, dorm rooms don't look like that. I don't know what the writer even can we just be honest, even and I know I'm skipping ahead, even in season five and six, where she's just sharing a room with Paris, mm-hmm. they still have a common room with a fucking fireplace and that pisses me off. Like is is Yale really that bougie? No, it's not. <laughs> I mean tuition maybe half a million dollars, but no. <laughs> no, so that really like annoyed me. That fucking common room is bigger than my apartment. I mean, with good with good reason though, because it's just it's not it's not a realistic portrayal of the college experience. I mean, I would like to assume other shows that have explored college would give us a bit more of a realistic perspective. I think I've referenced Felicity like a thousand times on this podcast, mm-hmm. but um, on Felicity, they really do have a more realistic outlook on college dorms i mean they look kind of ratty actually in comparison but like it's it's more realistic i mean i feel like every show i've seen has a more comprehensive grasp on college dorms even on parenthood when when drew went to college like that was still a much more realistic view of a of a dorm room for sure and i just whatever I don't know why that annoyed me so much during this episode. <laughs> but while we're, like, on the top, while we're on the topic of dorm rooms, though, I will say, as um, I could never live in one because, A, I hate people, and this not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but also because I've seen the third season of Veronica Mars, and I have no interest in, re- in reliving that. So. Okay, I don't know what that means. I've You've never seen Veronica it. Mars. Why are we I friends? Don't, I don't like it. You didn't like Veronica Mars? No. I feel like we talked about this before. We didn't. Um, anyway, so you're gonna have to watch Veronica Mars if you want to still be my friend. No, no, I don't have to watch shit because I don't like it because I've seen the first episode and I'm like, eh. Yeah. Okay, uh, the first season was the best. Thank you. Well, not according to me. Get out of my face. Okay, um, I guarantee you a lot of our listeners love Veronica Mars and we're gonna come after you, just saying. Okay, well, congratulations to them. I'm not shitting on your show. I just don't like it. Anyway, for those who don't know, the third season of Veronica Mars deals with, like, uh creepy situations in college and in dorms and rapists and etc and just no thanks i'm doing that anyway (laughs) we're on the subject you know that college rape scandals run rampant still to this day so oh yeah and again part of the reason why i would never want to be part of uh any american higher education system ever all right We've uh, sufficiently alienated everyone. <laughs> um, no, okay. So, yeah, dorm rooms don't look like that. Um, but do you, I guess, Gilmore Girls? I don't know why you have to make everything look so bougie. Why couldn't she just go to a regular fucking dorm room? But anyways. <laughs> um, 
I was excited for the possibility of new characters. So we meet Tana. Tana? Tana? Tana. Tana, who is 16 years old and looks so freaking adorable and sad. I just want to give her a hug. Um, I have, actually, I have our episode title for this week. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's 16 on Tuesday. All right. <laughs> Just the way that she says it is funny. She's like, uh, Lorelai says, Tana, how old are you? 16 on Tuesday. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, you're like a little Bambi. I just want to hug like, She's very social. I'm not, she's, I'm not going to say she's like, uh, has like any kind of disability, but she's very socially awkward in a way that's clear. Speaks to, <laughs> Speaks to me, yes, but also clear from the moment you meet her. It's like, okay, you lack social skills. Okay, but can we be can we be completely fair to her? She's 15, 15. Yeah. At an Ivy League university, and her parents just kind of dumped her there. Which, like, who does that, first of all? Yeah, her dad is having a schwitz. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just felt, I was like, oh, Tana. But I was, I was excited. I was like, oh, new season, uh, new environment probably means new characters. So I was excited for the possibility of new characters. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't, so I don't necessarily know if Tana was meant to be in season four a new character that we like grew with and loved, but just based on her first interaction, I'm gonna say no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was gonna say even Tana and Janet, who we meet, Janet is that her name? Janet next episode, yeah. Yeah, who we meet in, in the next episode. Like, they're not really meant to... You can tell pretty much early on that they're not really meant to be long-term characters. Yeah, so here's the thing. When Paris shows up, which we're going to talk about, but when Paris shows up and interacts with Tana a little bit, I would, I was like, oh, this is going to be like a bit throughout the fourth season, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's going to be her and then the other roommate. And then I was potentially thinking... I remember when I first watched it, I was like, oh, they're probably not going to show us the fourth roommate. And it's going to be like Tana in Paris for like comedic relief at Yale. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't know if that was the goal. I don't know if they thought like we should introduce some new characters because Rory's growing up. And then they were like, mm, no, let's scale it back. We're good with the formula we have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it would have been interesting to kind of. I don't know, get more from get more from Rory interacting with other people, I should say. Because in this episode, she doesn't make friends, I guess. So, like, at the end when she goes to get coffee with those girls. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to see Rory be more social. Yes. But also, I feel like the way that Lorelai has to hold her hand in this episode and kind of in, in making her make friend, make, make new friends is, like pretty on brand for Rory and it kind of develops slowly over the course of season four and into season five but even by that point like it's only a couple of friends and I feel like that's just a realistic amount for Rory yeah but okay so I have to I have to kind of be fair to Rory here it's really hard saying goodbye to your mommy (laughs) (laughs) so I've moved twice um I've moved from my province my home province twice and I have to say, it's really, really hard moving away and saying goodbye. Like that moment where my mom gets in her car and I wave goodbye to her. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> and I get it if you're 18. So I moved the first time when I was 25. 
and the second time this year, well, last year. Um, and it was bad for me now. I can't imagine at 18, like, you know, being coming from this really sheltered place where your mom was your best friend and the whole town was like your, you know, it takes a village to kind of raise you and then like going off on your own. So I want to be fair to Rory and say that it's probably really, really hard. That's what I really don't understand about sending, I mean, sending, sending your kids away. And but like, uh, like having kids go off to school right at like right out of high school and leave home and live, live by themselves in a dorm. Like, I really don't understand that concept in terms of when parents say, oh, it'll be good for them. They need to be, they need to like spread their wings. And it's like, um, when I was 18, I could barely cross the street. So you want them people to just leave their kids? Like, that doesn't really mean, it makes sense in terms of their adults now. They need to learn and make their own mistakes and et cetera. But like, from my perspective, no, please don't leave them. <laughs> so I you know? think there's, there's, yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. And I think there's two parts to that. Like, number one, if they don't do it then, it's like, when are they going to do it? <laughs> so, like, just taking our example, like a Canadian example where a lot of people, let's say in Montreal, a lot of people either go to McGill or Concordia or Université de Montréal and whatever. You know, like, they go local, let's say, mm-hmm. for example, right? So there's really not really dorms. There's housing, but it's for international students, most likely. Um, you know, so dorms that's a foreign concept to us. (laughs) Like leaving home to go to school is a foreign concept to us. Um, But then I, I, I wonder because then I I ended up staying home, staying at my house, for example, until I finished my master's, which was when I was 20. I can't do math. Don't make me do math. Oh, mommy. (laughs) So let's say I was 26. Yeah, I was 26. Right. Mm -hmm. that means the first time you're going to leave home you're well into your 20s when other people have already established like their lives outside of their parents house you know what I mean yes so I kind of wonder which one is better telling them to get the fuck out at 18 and like go live their lives (laughs) or maybe you know nurturing them a little bit more (laughs) and then I don't know maybe when you're like 22 (laughs) fly the nest you know yeah I thought about this a lot. I don't know why. Um, but I always wonder which one is better. Because at the same time, I'm with you. I don't think 18, you're an adult at all. You know, I don't no. think 18 year olds should be living alone. We still make a lot of stupid decisions <laughs> at that age. For sure. Yeah. And I also have like a bit of a counter argument to you saying like, which is better, you know, leaving at 18 and having an like having an established life by the time like you at 26 then leaves the house um like I think in a perfect world you leave the house at 18 you figure it out on your own and you're established as an adult more so in your early 20s and your later 20s like in a perfect world that's what you want and I think maybe from my generation or your generation millennials and gen z in general like um doesn't really work that way and we kind of either end up coming back home or you know our our goal doesn't really work out and shit hits the fan like that to me is a more realistic portrait of adult yeah. life than hey I, hey I'm going to college everything's going to be great I'm going to everything's going to be picture perfect and I'm going to get my dream job at 21 like that oh no, so listen no <laughs> that's not realistic <laughs> 
that's the foreign I, concept to me out of all of it. Like, really? Life's that perfect for you all the time? Because adulthood, not so much for me. No, so here's what I'll say to that. So I understand that there's also a generational um, problem here, right? I think mm-hmm. it was much easier to tell your kids to get the fuck out um, 30, 40 years ago, definitely, um, when the economy wasn't so shit and things were a little bit better um, for youngsters, for youths, shall we say. Yeah. Um, it's not it's not it's not as black and white I don't think it was ever black and white but I think now especially it's not as black and white um and I don't it's not that's not to say that I think that as soon as you go off to college at 18 you do your four years in the states let's say of college and then boom you're an adult as soon as that diploma is in your hands absolutely not right and then I think you know we saw that in the year in the life Rory's 33 years old and she's still fucking scattered Right. That's much more realistic these days um, than just being an adult. But I think that, um, you know, going off that way and maybe kind of doing things on your own for a little while. And since we were talking about safety nets earlier, always having that safety net maybe um, is a little bit easier. You know, Mm -hmm. you know, Rory has her safety net. It's her mother. You know, she was able to page her mother and luckily she's going to school in state. So her mother can come right back. Right. Um, But then I think it's different. Let's say you're going to school out of state. You would be a that's a different kind of person. Right. You're already a little bit more independent if you wanted to do that in the first place. Yeah. Um, Not to say you wouldn't miss your parents, but, you know, it's different personalities. And I think it's. I think it's lucky that Rory ended up choosing Yale because, like you said, she was a little bit more um, socially stunted and um, not as not as socialized, shall we say. Yeah. And it's like you said, in terms of the American perspective of uh, post-secondary education is a different image. It may be more so in other provinces besides Quebec, because, you know, we're different and we're stupid, but. Like, the the image of post-secondary education is university and all of this weird North American cliches that go along with it. And I think, uh, you know, in the in the year 2021, we should probably just start to be a bit more realistic in general with that. You know, not just because a pandemic has changed everything, but also because life really doesn't work out that way no. for anybody. Like, even people who do achieve their goals, get everything they wanted, you know, did everything on the the same scale, the same line. I would even argue that they would tell you that life is messy and doesn't go doesn't go according to plan on the best of days and really maybe, maybe let's just demolish the narrative that life gets better in adulthood cuz it does, but it also doesn't and then it doesn't and then it does and so, you know what I mean? Just shall we say, shall we say it comes with its own set of problems? Yes. And since we were talking about Taylor Swift earlier, I'm thinking of the lyrics of her song 22. It's uh, happy, free, confused and lonely in in the best way. And that's pretty much the only way I can describe it. Yeah. And you're not even a full form adult yet. Okay. You know what? I'm done done with this discussion. Let's move on. (laughs) I mean, you're still at home. So what? (laughs) I mean, you're going to have other problems when you leave the house. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank right. you. Thank well, you. Well, you're welcome. I aim to please. <laughs> um. All right. 
So can we talk about Paris? Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> so because you re- you you watched the show recently, mm. I wanted to ask recently, more recently than me, anyways. I wanted to ask you what your thoughts were when you heard Paris's voice. So the first time I watched the show all the way through, um, like I said at the end of season three, like you wonder, um, you know, what's going to happen to Paris? Like Paris will be on the show. Like what's the whole? Um, and I'm pretty sure she. Appe- I'm pretty sure uh, the actress appears in the opening credits in episode one. Yes. So, you, so you think? So you, then you realize like, oh, okay, she's still she's still in the main cast. She's still gonna be in the show. Like you wonder where she's gonna fit in to, to yeah, all what's this. And then in episode two, you hear like you hear her voice and you're like, yes. For me, the first time I'm like, yes, please, thank you. <laughs> please and thank you. <laughs> please and thank you. And only because I've only because we've both seen the show so many times now. I every single time I rewatch season four at this point, I'm like, how did they not clue in that PG was Paris Geller? I'm like, I wouldn't have the first time either, but I'm like, PG bitch, that's Paris Geller. <laughs> I know, it's just, um, anyways, I remember watching it and seeing her, because I we talked about this at the end of season three, where, you know, they're saying their goodbyes at high school graduation, and you're thinking, oh, where, what's going to happen with Paris? You know, like, you're really, you're kind of dreading it, mm-hmm. um, because it's a character you've grown to really love, and they've grown as friends, too. And then I remember watching it and hearing her voice, and I was like, yes, Paris. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, and by the way, it's just the perfect way for her to come back to. For sure. Like, it makes so much sense because the, and I think also on the the topic of life after high school, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) like, Rory's journey is, is, interesting but I think Paris's journey is also interesting in its own way because it's like Paris was so intense and so uh you know anal retentive about this one goal of getting into Harvard and then that didn't work out and like the whole world crashed down for her and then when you meet her again in season four it's like she has a life coach and she's like rebuilding into this new Paris which doesn't really last for very long but um, she's like rebuilding her life and to me now, you know, five years later after watching it for the first time, I'm like, you know, I think that's the most realistic portrayal of life after high school. It's like, um, you know, mentally ill people do not just all of a sudden snap back into into healthy, fully formed human beings. And so it's like Paris, who I'm not going to say was you know, mentally ill, quote unquote, but like for sure had some mental health concerns. I think it's interesting to have her appear at Yale like this and she's this fresh new Paris with a life coach, but you know, it doesn't really work out that way in the long term. No. So listen, yeah, like you said, we know how it ends kind of thing with parents. Um, But I think for me, it was interesting to see. um, I thought it was a nice message to send of how do I put this? Like, because when we see her in season three, at the end of season three, she still doesn't know what university she's going to. Mm-hmm. But she's still mulling it over. And I think it's a good reminder for people that even though, like, shit hits the fan with Paris, it's a good reminder, like, that there are always other options. Yeah. And Paris ended up in a really great place. You know what I mean? Like, still a great school. Yale's still a great school. She's still at an Ivy League school. Like, the world didn't crumble, you yeah. know? 
like she thought it was going to. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just a really good reminder um, to say to people, hey, like life's messy. Shit doesn't always work out the way you want it to. But it doesn't mean that everything's going to go to shit. You know what I mean? And I think Paris learned that a lot faster than Rory did. Absolutely. For sure. I think, I think in, a year in, a li- in, in a year in the life, Rory is still learning that. So. Yeah. And that's another thing. That's another example. Like we're jumping way ahead, but that's another example of how Rory's been kind of sheltered her whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it is because she had that safety net or not, who knows? But Paris has gone through a little bit more in terms of her personal journey. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think you're right. I think she realizes that way before Rory ever does, and is able to handle adulthood a little bit better because of it, right? Also, it's clear, like, early on in the show and throughout the whole show that um, Paris comes from wealth and financial security, Mm -hmm. but her parents didn't give a shit about her. Exactly. And that, I think, helped mold her into the person she becomes. And I think in comparison to Rory, like, they're not, they were not sheltered in the same way at all. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, obviously, (laughs) Paris had her nanny, who, by the way is left her in this episode but then reappears inexplicably in season five so um plot, her down. plot hole um but like even though she had a she had a nanny who was paid to take care of her like that doesn't mean that her that paris's life was automatically easy no of course not and i think i think throughout the show um the writers do a really good job of like really getting that across this Mm -hmm. idea that just because you grew up with everything doesn't necessarily mean your life is great so they do that in in the first seasons with Paris obviously and they do it with Lorelai as well but then Mm -hmm. in the later seasons when we see um you know Logan's relationship with with his family as well you know it's not all sunshine and roses no and it it makes these characters seem a little bit more complex, you know? Like, yes, on the surface, Paris is this great um, comedic relief. She's intense. We love her passion, whatever. But you have to kind of think that um, she had she probably had a very rough childhood, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like the, the, the aggression that she has and the, like, lack of patience for everything comes from... It's, it's very similar to, like, the you know, the judgmental tone or quote-unquote sass that, like, queer people have most of the time. It's like, it comes from a lifetime of being bullied and having to develop your own kind of thick skin. And in the same way that Paris, you know, didn't have a very good home life or personal life for most of her childhood, we are left to assume. It's like, she has to, she builds this armor that on the outside, it's like, oh, she's, she's hilarious because she's mean. Like, she's mean, <laughs> but beneath that veneer beneath that uh armor is a person who's been hurt over and over again and has to keep finding ways to get up in the morning you know so no for sure and i think um i think season four is also very i don't know it's a little bit more complex for paris as well which we're going to see mm-hmm yeah of course we know that that fucking facade of i've i've accepted it is not gonna last right um but but it's gonna be interesting to see how she adjusts 
in different ways than Rory, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she still has that intensity, obviously, going forward. Um, it's just channeled in a different way. Yes, and while we're still on the topic of Paris, I was actually thinking when I was talking about, uh, you know, her and and the armor, it reminds me a lot of uh, Sandra Bullock's character in The Proposal, mm. um, in that she's this, you know, high-powered editor-in-chief of this big publishing house and everybody's scared of her, you know, like the witch is on her broom. She's mean, she's a bitch, but like, as the the movie goes on, you know, they they go to Alaska so she can supposedly marry Ryan Reynolds for a green card. And like, you see, as as the story goes on, it's like the reason why she's become such a cold bitch is because, you know, she lost her parents when she was 16. She's been on her own uh, as a, as a woman, executives in any business like that's not that's not an easy road and you you just tell she's built up this armor to not let people in and it's easier to be cold and rude and mean than it is to let people in sometimes and like I get a lot of that from Paris too yeah um the one thing I'll say about that is as as true as I think it is um like I I know that that's the reason why Paris is the way she is, like, and a lot of women are portrayed that way in television. I just wish that that wasn't the normal, like, trope we used. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't, I don't like, not that I don't like, but I mean, it's just, it's hard to say that, you know, there has to be a reason for why she, she is the way she is. You know, like, oh, she obviously had a rough childhood. Like, why can't it just be because she's the fucking boss and she told you to do something, so that's why she's a hard ass? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we don't question that when it comes to men. Yeah, for sure. Like, oh my God, he probably had such a rough childhood. Like, fuck off. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, you, and I think, maybe not so much with Paris, but at least with with Sandra Bullock's character in in the proposal, I liked both sides of it. Like, I liked her before I knew that she had, you know, a rough, a rough young life. And, but I also, but I liked her even with that, with those layers. So it's like, for me, at least when a character is me and a bitch, I'm like, yes, I don't need a reason, but yes. But if you do have a reason, I'll listen. No, for sure. And I think, listen, I think there's obviously going to be a reason for why people are the way they are. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just wish that we'd stop relying so much on this narrative of, well, this character, it seems like every single writer for a script or a book or whatever walks into the room to pitch it and says, well, this character is really a bitch, but you're going to find out why, you know, yeah, like there always has sure. to be a reason. There always has to be like, aha, like that's why she's so mean. And it's just like, maybe she's not mean. <laughs> maybe yeah. she's just like a boss and or she's like in Paris's case. Like maybe she's just passionate about life, you know, like life, her life, meaning um you know wanting to go to harvard that's her goal so let her be passionate about it you know Mm -hmm. so i don't like the fact that we rely on that a lot um when we're when we're trying to write women's backstories yeah i agree it's you for sure people go into a meeting and they're like okay this woman's a bitch but you're gonna find out why you're gonna love her for it but it's because like her husband cheated on her with her best friend and then they had it like i don't care I mean, I do care, obviously, if it's there. But I'm saying, like, there could be other reasons. It doesn't have to be because they had such a traumatic past. Yeah, she's a woman and she's a bitch. The end. You can still love her. Yeah, exactly. Fuck. That's why maybe I loved Cruella Deville when I was growing up. <laughs> Did you know, side note, 
sidetrack. <laughs> that um, I was deeply, deeply traumatized by Glenn Close as Cruella DeVille in the preview for 102 Dalmatians in the yes, fall of 2000. Yes, you told me. Oh, okay, I did because um, anybody who knew me. Very dramatic. It was no, it was totally dramatic because anybody who knew me, either when that happened, when I was three, or um, when I was. <laughs> throughout my whole childhood when I was scared of the the the, the live action Cruella de Vil um, from Glenn Close it was like an inside joke and now like my aunts still like poke and tease me about it I'm like okay um she doesn't scare me so much anymore Glenn Close in general freaks me out because I was traumatized by her but um Cruella de Vil love it and I've always loved her as the character so I was like, fuck, this lady just wants to make a coat. Let her make a coat, man. <laughs> like, what okay. the fuck? She, she didn't have to steal people's puppies. Yeah, we're different. <laughs> oh, my God. So you would steal someone's puppies to make coats? No, of course I wouldn't. <laughs> but I was just like, I get it. <laughs> like, what would Bosley say? Oh, poor Bobo. I miss him. <laughs> Little fuck. All right. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so that that was just something that was on my mind. Like, okay, yeah, we get it. Paris doesn't, you know. Like, Tana doesn't have parents. They're not there. She's adopted. She could be a bitch. Yeah. But she's not, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I just wish there was more than one storyline for women. For sure. But, you know, that's, I think, everyone's complaint. <sighs> um, okay, let's talk about Luke who is trying to get divorced. To a woman off screen. We never actually see any of the freaking action of this divorce. Well, it's coming. Relax. Barely, Um, though. Nicole is barely present. That's so annoying. I never get over it. I know. I always wondered, like, why not? Is it because she got another role? I doubt it. I haven't seen her in anything. At that point, I don't think so. Like, like we've we've said that we've seen that actress in a bunch of other things, but... I don't think at that time she had anything else. I could be wrong, but... I could also be wrong, but I don't know. Yeah, so he's getting divorced to an imaginary woman. From an imaginary woman. Yeah. Like, we've met her a couple of times. We know she exists, but she's still kind of... It's almost like she's omnipresent. It's like, Nicole, Nicole. It's like, okay, where the fuck is Nicole? I want to see her face. (laughs) Yeah. You would think that she would take a more active role in her own divorce, but evidently not. Um... And when I say the writing was really good in this episode, even the scenes where Luke is, like, bantering with the lawyers, mm-hmm. I found very entertaining. Um, yeah, and it's, like, it's 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 a nice, I'm going to say it's a break, but it's, like, it's, it's a nice, uh, like, B-plot to Rory's own drama. It's, like, there's dra- like, there's personal drama on all fronts. Yes, exactly. Um, and uh, we just get to see angry Luke, and I love angry Luke. <laughs> Like, irritated, angry, like, they won't fucking leave me alone, Luke. I love that kind of Luke. <laughs> he's, like, when he's <laughs> giving them his, I'll give you my lawyer's information. It's whatever, I remember what it is, but it's hilarious. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just, and I kind of, the whole time I was just wondering, like, why, I want to know why they thought it would be a good idea to get married. Yeah. And that's what's. I think frustrating about the whole Nicole storyline for me is that, well, number one, we don't see her, so it's fine. And then, and then when they do talk, which they will in the next episode, 
um, it's like anticlimactic. So I'm not, I'm not any more satisfied than I am now. But what I'm saying is like, what? You never get the impression that Luke wants to get married. Like even when Lorelai's, and this came to me because Lorelai's describing him to the lawyers, right? And she's like, he's a hermit. He lives alone. He only likes to fish. And I'm like, that's so true. <laughs> like, you never get the impression that he wants to get married. So I don't know. The whole thing is just frustrating because I'm like, who? I wish we had more information. Like, who initiated this? Who thought this was going to be a good idea? It's almost like the writers want to give Luke his own story, but not too much. It's like because they know that they're, that they're eventually leading up to Luke and Lorelai getting together. And in my opinion, as I've said many times before, they wait way too long. So it's like they want to give Luke a story but then either they don't want to pay the actress to be there more or they don't have enough screen time available to dedicate to this story. And it's like, but then why? Like, why? So, but, that, but that's what I was wondering, because I was like, do you think... So I had the same thoughts while I was watching. I was like, okay, so this is probably like their storyline leading up to Lorelai and Luke getting together and they kind of want to do something, but not too much. Same thing. Like I was having all the same thoughts. But then I'm like, if you think about it, do you think they actually meant for them to get together at the end of this season? Like when they set out to write season four, were they realistically thinking to themselves, oh, yeah, this is the season? Or were they like, we'll see where the thing takes us. We'll start writing and we'll see where it takes us. You know what I mean? From an aesthetic point of view, I want to say, like... The Sherman Palladino said, yes, end of season four, it's going to happen. But on the other side, on the other hand, it's like, I'm thinking at this start, at the start of the season, they're like, we're going to write and we're going to see what happens and maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. And yeah, that's, so that's I think that's been their approach the entire time, which is annoying. Yeah, so that's the impression that I get. And that's why the storyline really frustrates me because it feels incomplete and not in the sense of like, because we don't see the actual that's a whole other thing but it feels incomplete because it feels like they didn't even know what they were doing and they were just kind of going with the flow mm-hmm. and then the storyline itself really um well i'm not gonna say when it ends even though like the show has been done for 13 years or however many years but you know there's a clear point for me where it ends and we're gonna get to it and i think that's when they started saying okay this is it you know yeah I don't know. For me, the whole thing is very frustrating. I think I'd have to go with what you said about how they just kind of started writing and see where they're going to take, see where it was going to take them. Yeah. And I think, I think in terms of network television writing um, in general, and especially 20 years ago when it, when network TV was pretty much the only TV, Mm -hmm. um, there was no, there was no streaming or anything. I think uh, like the way that network TV is written is more or less like they have, they have the time and energy to devote to oh like that wasn't well received we're going to rewrite it we're going to see we're, we're going to write it this way and see how it goes see how the chemistry flows like i think network tv especially then had more freedom to just start start with it and see where it goes whereas like now when um you know a season is made 10 episodes 13 episodes on one shot and then it's released on one shot even it's like there's less time to think like oh, okay that didn't work we're going to we're going to change that like they, yeah. they have to wait they have to wait to the next season if they even get one to change what they didn't like you know so it's the way that the way that network television is written 
is different. So I think the way that the Sherman Palladinos were probably thinking was, they're like Luke and Lola are going to be together at some point, but we're just going with the flow and seeing how seeing where this season takes us. That's that was always the impression that I had when I started watching season four. Mm-hmm. I always felt that that storyline was a little bit like, oh, we're going to play with this and see how it's received. And then once they started noticing that, like, we weren't there for it, they're like, yeah. we got we to end this in a drastic way. You know what I mean? So, I like, I, I'd almost wish that uh, Nicole was more present, at, like, in the second half of season three. Like, they're together. Like, it's where yeah. this going. Like, Lorelai is getting jealous etc like some some kind of action like that and then towards the end of season three like maybe not the main plot of the end of season three obviously because there was a lot of main things going on with rory and graduating and everything but some kind of scene at the end of season three where one of them says like hey let's get married and then we pick up in season four and it's like yeah even just having a conversation like where is this going you know what i mean i Mm -hmm. almost wish we had seen um because they gave us like snippets of it when he met her parents and stuff so you kind of have to assume it's serious but that's something that we have to assume on our own they didn't give us much you know yeah and so it's I, so weird and like it's just a good thing you brought that up because like it's so weird that they would give us a scene where luke meets nicole's parents but then not not give us a scene where they discuss the you know the how serious the relationship is, like, discuss marriage, like, where is this going? Like, we don't don't get any of that, and that's what's annoying. Yeah, and I think the reason we don't, too, is because the writers are still banking on this, like, Luke is very much an eternal bachelor, whatever. But then it just feels disjointed when he comes back and he's engaged, and he's married, you know? But they're getting divorced. Like, they got, like, it happens in one season where it's like, we got married, but we're getting divorced. Like, okay, um... Pretty sure the card the cardinal rule of fiction is show don't tell, Amy. Well, yeah, well that's another problem. But <laughs> I don't know. It's just one of those things where I'm like, I feel like they screwed the pooch with this one. Yeah, for sure. Especially because we, like, I'm not gonna say it makes me care about Luke Luke any less, but in terms of the actual important action of the season, having seen it so many times, both of us, it's like, where does Luke actually fall? Because we don't actually see any of this action or see any of the actual, like, how the divorce plays out, you know? Yeah, it's it's a lot to leave to the imagination for a character that's so pivotal. Exactly, exactly. See, and I think, you, you sum up all of my arguments. Yeah, well, I think that's why it bothers me so much. <laughs> um, it's just, you would expect more from a character that's so important. Yes. And, you know, even in past seasons, we we've gotten more glimpses of Luke's life even when they weren't to our liking, like we got a lot from the um, Nicole. We got a lot from the Rachel storyline, even though we all didn't want him to end up with Rachel. We still got a lot from that storyline. It gave us insight into Luke. And now it's just like this big event happens and we don't get anything. It just seems like a real bummer. Yeah. So I have to wonder if they if they were maybe planning for it to go a different way and it didn't work out. Like it didn't pan out. Maybe the, the actress didn't want to come back. Maybe she had other jobs. Maybe they didn't have the budget to focus on Yale and Luke. Like, I don't know. But I'm thinking yeah, they... So many different things. It's just, it's something as a fan that you're left wondering. Yeah, because like you said, and now that I think about it, they did focus a lot, of, a lot of energy on Luke and Rachel, but not on Luke and Nicole, and they got married. Yeah. So, to me, I want more. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they, too, realized that, like, maybe they were also, you know, 
you know, like writers root for their own characters too. So maybe they're like, okay, it's enough. I want them to kiss already. <laughs> like, yeah, so maybe like the, maybe the Sharon Paladinos were like, you know what? Um, they're gonna get married. They're gonna have this whole drama, but it's not gonna matter because you know Luke and Lorelai are gonna get together eventually. No one cares. Yeah. So you know, you have to kind of think that maybe the Paladinos are the Sherman Paladinos are also fed up with their own shit sometimes. <laughs> oh, for sure. I definitely get that impression sometimes where it's like, okay, I'm just typing words. I'm not even listening to what I'm typing. <laughs> yeah, they're like, God damn it again, Amy. Fuck. What the fuck? <laughs> so anyways, um, so yeah, that was just a bummer to me. And now I think you too. Yes. Uh, I dragged you down with me. <laughs> um, should we talk about how... Emily and Richard are absent in this episode, and I think that's an important thing to note. That was a wise choice on the writer's part. Cause like, and I th- and it stood out to me so much more this time than in the past because it's especially and you know in the end of episode one where Emily is holding Rory hostage and she's hijacking Lorelai's last night with her daughter, and now in this episode it's, it's they're not there and it's and it's per- they're purposely not there because it's supposed to be all about Lorelai and Rory. Yeah, well, they shouldn't be there, right? It's not your kid. Um, and it's not your day. I mean, everyone knows that, at exactly. least Emily, maybe not so much Richard, but at least Emily is an attention whore and <laughs> will just make everything about her. So So I I know, um, so when we were talking about the the episode title, so, you know, in season one where it was, it was the Lorelai's first day at Chilton, Emily shows up, right? And that's mm-hmm. very much, like you said, she's an attention whore. It's very much an Emily thing to do. Um, but she shows up because she feels like, you know, she knows the headmaster. It's very much um, her money. She's very aware that it's her money that's paying for all this shit. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, Emily's going to pop up somewhere and it's going to be the worst. <laughs> and so, I thought that, too, watching it for the first time five years ago. Because I, rem- I, I remember exactly how the first day at Chilton went yeah. I'm like, Emily's here somewhere, that bitch. Where is she? Where is she? Show yourself. Let's get this over with. Um, but I'm really glad that they didn't do that this time because I think it was really important. And again, it goes back to what I said in the beginning. I think they were really trying to show us that that bond that we love so much is not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was necessary to kind of push the elder Gilmore's aside to show us that. I think they were hyper aware of what they were doing. They're like, no, it's not their day. It's bad enough we sprinkled a little Luke. We're just going to, you know, we're going to focus on this relationship and, you know, next week's a new episode kind of thing. Yeah. I was really glad they weren't there. <laughs> and, like, the more that I rewatch season four, the more that it just makes sense to me that they're they're not, like, the, the moments that Richard and Emily are absent are important because they're not, they shouldn't be there. It's not about yeah. them. Yeah, no, it's an active choice sometimes, you know? You know, sometimes you're just like, oh, the storyline is just, you know, there's too much going on in this episode with some characters and whatever. We don't have enough material to write for Emily. You know, it's just, no, sometimes, yes, sometimes it could be that, that you just don't want to write an entire subplot for these characters. But other times it's an active choice that you're making to exclude certain people um, from the episode. Yeah, it's deliberate. Yeah. And I think it says a lot in this case, too. They do come back next episode. Um, and this whole season is a roller coaster for them as well. Mm-hmm. But um, 
yeah, I, I love that choice that they weren't here this time. I'm like, yeah, let's just focus on who we're supposed to be focusing on. It's a big day for, for mother-daughter. Let's just do that. All right? Yeah. Get out of here, Emily. <laughs> yeah. um, there's one thing I'm shocked you haven't brought up about this episode. Well, we're not done. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, that this is where Copper Boom originates. Yeah, okay. We weren't done. <laughs> I was going to say it. Relax. Because I know how much you love Copper Boom, so... I mean, do I love it? I mean, to me, it seems like you use it a lot, so... I use Copper Boom a lot? Yes. When have I ever used Copper Boom with you? A few times. I don't remember anymore, but... Whenever I see Copper Boom, it reminds me of you, so... That's just how it is. He doesn't remember because they don't exist. (laughs) Okay, maybe fine, but... (laughs) Whenever I see Copper Boom, it does remind me of you, so... That's not my fucking problem. (laughs) She's so mean to me, you guys. I'm not. I'm not. Um, but yes, it's the birth of Copper Boom. It's very, it's very on brand for Lorelai and Rory. Like, you hear half the conversation, you make a fucking phrase, you run with it. Mm-hmm. Very on brand. My mother and I do that sometimes. <laughs> Just like me. a nice little inside joke that only they can appreciate. Yeah, and again, I think that was deliberate on their part too, right? The writers saying like, they still got it. Don't worry, guys. Everything's yes. gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, Birth of Copper Boom. I kind of like Copper Boom. I don't love it, like you said I do. Relax. <laughs> but um, Do you like Copper Boom better than Oil with the Poodles? Um, Me personally, no. I'd have to say, like, Oil with the Poodles is a little more on the iconic level than Copper Boom. Yeah. It's much more identifiable with the show, right? It's like, it's like a total overused cliche at this point, but, you know, it's, yeah, it's there's, become, no, there's no getting away from it. Yeah, it's become the unofficial slogan of the show. Mm-hmm. Boy with the poodle. Huh. We should have a slogan for this show. I think we already have one. It's heterosexual nonsense. Oh, I was going to say, but first. <laughs> <laughs> or in conclusion, but also. But also. <laughs> but first, in conclusion, but also. Yeah, we have a lot of shit. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Anything else you want to talk about? Um, the last thing I wrote down in my notes for, the, for this episode, and as I've said for multiple other episodes too, is that Lorelai reminds me a lot of my mom here in terms of how she just kind of comes in and you know assesses a problem and fixes it, but makes it, but makes it seem like you fixed it, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of how she uh, orders a bunch of takeout basically starts a party I'm not gonna say my mom would do that and i'm not i don't think i'm the kind of person who would want someone to do that yeah but, my mother knows you better than that <laughs> but like i could picture my mom going into kind of problem solving mode the same way that lorelei does and it's funny because i've told my mom that a few times like in terms of problem solving and assessing a crisis like i see a lot of similarities between lorelei and my mom mm-hmm. and um, a few nights ago, Family Channel in Canada alternates between reruns of Gilmore Girls and Parenthood late at night. And so we watched, we ended up like just sitting and watching an entire rerun of Parenthood. And um, as we've said before, my mom does not like Lauren Graham or Alexis Bledel as actresses. But especially Lauren, like more so Alexis Bledel, but she also doesn't like Lauren Graham um, on Parenthood. And I've said like, it's funny because... Lorelai Gilmore and Sarah Braverman both remind me of my mom in a lot of ways. So it's yeah. like interesting you don't like them. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I would also like to shout out my mother <laughs> because that is something very much my mother would do as well. Um, I remember when we walked into my apartment that I'm currently in now in Toronto. Um, so I moved during the pandemic, like at the height of the pandemic. So it really wasn't great in terms of, um, like we couldn't come down to see apartments. So I had to kind of go into this blind. And, um, the only thing that really mattered to me at the time was getting an apartment that was close to my work. Um, because at the height of the pandemic, I really didn't want to be taking public transport and whatever. So anyways, I remember walking into this apartment and being like, really just overwhelmed by how small like I knew it was small but just being so overwhelmed by how small it was and my mother being like oh my god don't worry we're gonna make it so nice and just spent the whole week um with me running back and forth to like furniture stores and picking up like decor that I didn't need like just like you know going into like you said problem solving mode right Mm -hmm. and it's very much something that my mom my mom does for me um my mom has had to move me twice and every time I'm like thank you for moving me again she's like don't fucking do it again because it's getting tiring (laughs) it's very much my mother's attitude but you know never hesitates um so shout out to Mary Spanos love (laughs) that I think it's just like a mother a mother's instinct to to see when their child is just overwhelmed and not able to help themselves it's like okay it's fine I'm gonna do this this and this and it's funny because I, I don't think I could ever see myself in a, like as a parent in the same way. So, no, you know, I so I appreciate that mothers like Deborah and Mary exist, yeah. s- exist and see things the way they do. Yeah. Like whenever I tell people that, like, I'm not meant to be a mother, it's precisely these moments that I think of where I'm like, what would I have done <laughs> in that scenario if my child started crying? Because the like, I would not go into problem solving mode. I would be like, "Oh my God, you're right. It is small." Like, and I cry right with them. (laughs) That's when I know, like, I'm not cut out for this motherhood shit. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, if if any if any child was overwhelmed in front of me, I'd be like, "You're overwhelmed, bitch. I'm overwhelmed too. You're not special." (laughs) I'd be like, "Yeah, me too. Let's cry together, Timmy." Like, I couldn't fucking, I couldn't do it the way my mother does it. And I guess, yeah, that. I mean, that is the the way, I guess, you know that your mother was meant to be a mother, I guess. Or meant I know to be your, like, meant to be your mother. Like, your mother was meant to be your mother, and my mother was meant to be my mother, like, in that in that unique, special way. Yeah, and they know how to handle us sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and I think it's, it's a perfect example this way of Lorelai knowing exactly what her daughter needed in that moment, right? Yeah. Uh, she knows her daughter could be a little bit uptight, so she needs to kind of bring her out of her shell in a way that only she can. Um, and what better way to do it than take out trying to get her to get new friends? You know, yeah. it's just, it's your mom. She's going to know you, right? She should. <laughs> she should, yeah. At the very best. Yeah. And then I think, so this season also for me brings up a lot of... Um, you know, it's going to bring up a lot of discussions, I think, about motherhood mm-hmm. and different examples of what it means to mother well. Um, and that it's not to say that, you know, there's terrible mother. Like, it's just mothers are also human and they make certain choices sometimes that are not great. Um, and we're going to see that a lot this season with 
Mrs. Kim and maybe Emily and, you know, even Lorelai sometimes doesn't make great decisions. Um, but I think it's a big season for motherhood in general. Yeah. And it's funny you said Mrs. Kim, because I'm like, only until we started talking about Rory's friends, I'm like, Lane is noticeably absent here. And it's on purpose because, like, Lane doesn't fit in this in this scenario. But it's it's nice when she comes back later. For sure. No, I definitely, when Lane comes back, I've definitely missed her. And I think um, now in the episodes is, now at this point in the season, once Rory's, like, settled and, you know, we know she's going to be okay is where we really start, um at least where I started saying, okay, now that I know that Rory's settled and she's going to be okay, I want to know what Lane is up to, you know? I want to know what Emily and Richard have been up to, you know? Like, you're going to crave it eventually. It's Mm -hmm. good to know when those moments are not those moments for you. You know, like, it's not Lane's moment right now. Um, But yeah, by episode three, four, I'm like, where the fuck is Lane? I want to see Lane, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Um, more to come for sure. Indeed. Do we have an update on the bracket for them? Yes. So um, last week's results are still being compiled as we speak because I was late to post it because I'm an idiot. You know how I be. Okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just completely forgot. Between editing the podcast and trying to fucking with these magnets and whatever. Um, (laughs) You you also have a full-time job, (laughs) ma'am. I also have a full-time job, yes. And then... You know, I work from home some days. And I'm also knitting up a storm. Whatever. I started knitting a cute baby blanket for my future niece or nephew. Oh, did you? The yarn was fucking crazy expensive, but I don't care. So so, so they don't know the gender yet, the sex? No, they don't know the gender yet. So I've, I've tried to pick, um, well, all, all colors for me are gender neutral, but fuck it. <laughs> I tried to pick gender neutral colors in terms of uh, what my brother would approve of. I was going to make a rainbow flag, but that would just piss off my brother. <laughs> oh, my God. You totally should. And say it's from me. Oh, there we go. <laughs> just, by the way, my brother's not homophobic. It's just, he's just very, like, um, why are you, like, he'll be like, why are you pushing gender neutral on my not yet born baby? <laughs> okay. Know? Yeah. Anyways. Doesn't he also get outraged at women breastfeeding in public? Not outraged, but he's just a little bit, um... No, so he doesn't mind breastfeeding in public. He minds uncovered breastfeeding in public. Okay, that makes sense. Like, so, Yeah, it makes a little bit more sense when you think, like, whatever. He's just a weird man. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, can, we can talk about my brother all day. <laughs> but I think so far, um, it was last week's was 513 Wedding Bell Blues versus 609 Prodigal Daughter Returns. So far, 513 is winning as it should, I think. Yes. Um, when we get to season six, I'm going to tell you guys all about how I have a very big problem with that episode, 609. Oh, just that one? Because I think we said that season six gives, gives me high blood pressure. So gives you high blood pressure, yeah. But in terms of, um, in term, everyone always says that that's a really sweet episode um, for the reunion. No, I have so many issues with that episode, but we're not going to get into them right now. It's not. Um, yeah, let's not do that because we can go on forever. Um, yeah, but so the next one is just like Gwen and Gavin, six twelve versus two ten, the Bracebridge dinner. Wait, what was the first one again? Just like Gwen and Gavin, six twelve. Mm, I mean, you know, I'm gonna pick the Bracebridge dinner. 
but I know why you're gonna pick the Brady Bridge dinner, you little bitch. <laughs> Not because I think it's the Christmas it's a Christmas episode. No, because it's jazz and you love oh, jazz. See? see, she knows me so well. <laughs> yeah, I would have to pick um just like Gwen and Gavin, just because I think we really get to the crux of Lorelai and uh, Luke's communication issues. True. But you know I, me, I hate you know me, I hate season six, so I'm not gonna ever choose it. I know you're never gonna choose season six. I know, I know. So this one I promised to post um <laughs> a little bit earlier this time. And um so that we can eventually talk about it next episode. Anything else you had for today? No, where can they follow us? No, that's not a question for me. You know that. Oh my god, you know it. I don't know it. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm gonna fine. attempt. You want me to attempt? <laughs> Let's attempt, because I always get them confused. We're going to attempt. Okay, ready? Yeah. They can follow us on Twitter at Gilmore Podcast. Mm-hmm. And Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast. Did I get how, it right? How hard was that? Super fucking hard. <laughs> <laughs> Every time, she's like, okay, I think I know it. I know it. I, I know it. Which one is which? <laughs> I never remember. I'm very bad at that. Oh, and I pride myself on my memory. <laughs> Can't do that anymore. <laughs> and then if you want to send us an email, you can do so at... Oh, fuck. Oh, my God. GilmorePodcast.gmail.com. No, what's wrong? Oh, <laughs> GilmorePodcast.gmail.com. Well, we should have been consistent with our names. <laughs> I tried. Gilmore Girls I Podcast know. was taken. I know, I know, I'm sorry. I'd love to know who has that email address. Do they have a superior Gilmore Girls podcast than to us? Ask them. No, they don't. <laughs> I'm kidding, I don't know. But um, you really screwed the pooch because now I can't remember shit because of you. Oh, God. So that's what it is. If you want to get in touch with us, follow us for all the great content that we post. We do post some great content. Mm, so please do follow us and give, and pay us attention. Yes. We live for the attention. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, that's it. We'll be back next week. Hopefully. Actually, we're, we're Gaga fans, so, so we live for the applause. We live for the applause. Can we talk about the fact that her dogs just got stolen? <laughs> and that's why we're, we're about to sign off. It's like, wait, let's talk about Lady Gaga's dogs. Can I? No, okay, we're not going to talk about it in depth. But I just want to say, if somebody fucking walked up to me and tried to steal my dog, I'd be fucking devastated. Or, like, shooting someone for their dog. for my dog. Are you crazy? It's a bit extra. Yeah, it's a bit extra. My God. We still don't know what happened there. But I'm glad Gustav and Koji are back. <laughs> yes. They're fucking cute, man. Gustav, what a lovely name. That's amazing. By the way, that's an amazing name. And I know that when we were trying to name Bosley, I had Gustavo on my list. <laughs> See? And just a fun fact. Before we named Bosley, um, every single name that I had on my list, I had my grandmother test. Like, in her thick Greek accent. Yeah. To see if she could say it. She um, could not say Gustavo. Surprise. Hmm. Uh, and she also couldn't say Bosley. She calls him Bozo. <laughs> that's a pretty on-brand grandmother thing, though. So. That's a super on-brand grandmother thing. But my other grandmother can say Bosley. My maternal grandmother just calls him Bozo. <laughs> I love that. It's really cute. Yeah. Anyways, bye! <laughs> Thank you for listening. Bye, guys.